0: Oh, yeah. Ina, tell us, why are we here?
1: Welcome from Hamburg to all of you. And um, I'm so glad that you joined. I can already see people from Trinidad, from Bogota, from all over the world joining us today. Um, my name is Ina Freistatzer and I'm um, heading the conference and all the other activities that we are doing here at the next conference, like this little show. And this is our second episode. And today I'm a co-dancer and co hoster with Monique. And David, Monique joining from Amsterdam, David from London. Plus, we have a special guest today, which is Benedict Evans. He's a super famous newsletter writer, analyst, and he is uh, uh, the um, voice that is speaking to the Silicon Valley and is analyzing and everyone is um, listening to their, to his things that he has to say about tech and media. He's about 140,000 readers every week, including me. So I'm super happy that Ben is joining us today. Um, And he will talk to us about the path to the new normal, um, about changing behaviors that are forming in these strange times, and also um, what will last. While Ben will be giving his talk later, um, I invite you to ask your questions or a comment in the chat. Um, so, uh, we can have a conversation about what is going on.
2: So, as we sat at the beginning of the year, there were three conversations we had in technology. What happens when everyone is online? What are the next fundamental changes after mobile, after machine learning, um, after crypto maybe? And then how does regulation and policy uh, come into the tech industry to change this? Today, I think i would change that slightly. Now, it's what happens when everyone has to be online. And so that takes me to technology in April, technology in May, as we think about the new normal. Um, And there's a great quote from Lenin that there are decades when nothing happens, and then there are weeks when decades happen. And I think we'd all sort of empathise with that as we think about the last six and eight weeks. Um, We're in a period of forced adoption. So we have very rapid acceleration of existing trends. We move forward five years in five weeks. We also have a period of forced adoption. So things that people had maybe not adopted and not thought about being about doing online, now everyone has to do everything online and we see what works and what sticks. And then I think there's a market reset, there's conversion, there's adoption, and then there's a period of land grab. And so I'll talk about each of those. First of all, forced adoption, everyone is forced to stay at home, In 80, 90, even 100% um, of traffic to retail locations, to bars and restaurants has gone away um, as we've gone into lockdown. Um, And so a lot of people are having to try things that they wouldn't have tried before. Um, Green Eggs and Ham is a reference to a a children's book where the the character is forced to try Green Eggs and Ham. So everyone is having to try grocery delivery. Um, Everyone is having to try video call adoption, particularly professional video call adoption, as we're doing now. The same thing in the enterprise. Um, If you come from Silicon Valley, you think about cloud and SaaS. as being um, a sort of a boring story and an old story, but in the real world of big enterprises, um, only say 20% of workflows have actually shifted to the public cloud. Um, They keep thinking about it, but not doing it. Now everybody's at home. So they have to to think about how they move those, those workflows to the cloud. Ultimate expression of this, the NHS, the UK Health Service did a 48 hour tender for adopting video conferencing. They chose 11 companies in 48 hours and 90% of GPs have adopted this. In a normal world, that would be 48 weeks or maybe 48 months. Now it happened in 48 hours. Um, and so we have this kind of transition from um, in, in which every sector, um, from medicine to health to grocery delivery, people are seeing, is it possible to do this online? Now, forward. there's, a, there's a sort of a second layer to this, which is whenever you get a new tool, you start by making the new tools fit the old way of doing your job. And then over time you work out, well actually maybe this changes how I do my job. And so you start by using email or using video and forcing it to fit into your traditional ways of working. So you print out your emails. Over time you work out, well maybe actually this changes how I would do my job. And so you combine that with this kind of forced period of experiment. And it's not that everything's gonna go remote or everything's gonna go video, but everything will find new paths and new workflows as we shift more and more things into software. Um, Now, one of the things that I think comes out of that is we have a market reset. So everyone is trying everything. The digital incumbents are swamped. Um, Some of the physical incumbents clearly are going to go out of business. And so we get this period of market reset. Um, I think it's really instructive to look at what happened to the print advertising business when we went through the economic crash in 2009, 2010. If you look at the chart here, um, the revenue went away, but then it didn't come back when the economy recovered. Instead, everybody reconsidered their their budgets from zero and the budgets didn't come back. Instead, you went into another period of kind of systemic long-term decline. Um, you can see the same thing globally. This is global newsprint production, which is a lovely statistic. There were 40 million tons of newspaper being produced every year in the 2000s. And that didn't really get affected by the consumer internet. And then again, in 2008, nine, it went down and then it's continued in a straight line down ever since. Um, If we supply that kind of thinking to retail, um, there's a fairly obvious and terrifying chart here that the US has massively more retail square foot per capita than anywhere else in the world. And that seems like that's unsustainable. Um, On the other hand, there's a bunch of sectors that actually might've been doing fine, um, might've been doing really well in digital, but are now in deep trouble just because we had to shut down whole categories. So restaurants and bars are obviously in trouble, but also kind of hotels and air travel that don't get transformed by digital necessarily, but because nobody can travel, there's a whole bunch of other industries that are exposed. In the US, that's about four and a half trillion dollars and about 8% of consumer spending. So four and a half billion dollars. Um, and so there's this sort of period in which an awful lot of markets get reset. Anyone will try anything online. Everyone reconsiders their budget from zero. Some physical rivals will disappear, but you have to be able to survive and get through the next month and then the next 18 months or two years. Two final observations I would might make. First of all, there's a feeling about Silicon Valley that this may be the moment of which Silicon Valley starts to change. So for the last 20 years, there's been, there's been this joke, wanted hiring engineers to build a communications product that will transform communication and makes distance irrelevant, must be willing to relocate to Silicon Valley. And so for the last 20 years, Silicon Valley has been the global cluster for creating software. But in the last 10 years, people have been looking at this chart and saying, hang on a second, at what point does this just stop working? At what point can we not afford to live here? At what point does it not matter how strong the cluster effects are we will have to change? Now all of these companies are forced to relocate. Everybody has to work from home. An awful lot of companies are reconsidering their budgets and thinking, do I have to pay for that office space? Do I have to pay people the salaries that can support Silicon Valley house prices? And then a final observation, in January, we were thinking a lot about regulation of technology on a lot of different categories. Many of that regulation is going to come back. Some of it will kind of pass away because it was kind of froth, but quite a lot of that is going to come back as being important in the new world. And so a final set of things to think about as we go from kind of before COVID to after COVID, the technology tech industry moves in S-curves. Every 10 or 15 years, there's a new fundamental center and the whole tech industry gets driven forward massively by that new center. And so we had mainframes and then PCs and then we had the web and then we had smartphones and that took technology from giant companies to everybody. What is the next S-curve? Well, it's that technology becomes a systemically important part of society. Um, it's important to remember that that doesn't still quite touch everybody. So. Almost 90% of the population is now online, but that rises to you know, 50% of over 75s are offline, even 30% of people for age 65 to 75 are offline. And again, something like a quarter of people in the lower socioeconomic demographic are not online. Um, that, so as I said earlier, online has gone from being the exception to being the default, but you do have to remember people who are not the default. But finally, if we think back to company creation in, two, in in the last kind of great crash, 2008, 2009, a lot of really systemically important, and interesting and valuable companies got created in that period. We're probably seeing the same wave of company creation at the moment. The difference, I think, is that it won't necessarily be concentrated in Silicon Valley. So, if you look at the shift here back in the nineteen, in the two thousands, three quarters of all venture capital investment was still happening in the in the USA, which mostly meant Silicon Valley. Today, it's 50-50. and so we're seeing a global diffusion of technology. And if we think about what that means, it's really the end of the American internet. Because today, America, indeed, America and Western Europe combined are now a small minority of smartphone users, a small minority of global mobile data use, even a small minority of global um, e-commerce traffic. And so we're now seeing kind of massive and systemic diffusion of um, software creation, service creation, use of the Internet outside Silicon Valley into the broader world. So thank you.
0: I recommend everybody to read the essays uh, that Benedict has online on this website but um, to pick up on the last uh, thing you mentioned now this time of crisis is the time where this a new range of companies will be established that will you know in many years be the most important companies. What kind of companies do you envisage? I mean in what fields do you think that those companies will develop?
2: So I think there's there's two answers to that. One of them is I don't think you could have sat down in 2008 and predicted Uber and Airbnb and WhatsApp. Um, And and in a sense, even if you had had the thesis, even if you had said, well, mobile and marketplaces and gig economy and end of ownership, an awful lot of people still looked at Airbnb. Well, so that's a really dumb idea. That will never work. So you know, it's it's, you know, as a Yogi Berra line, prediction is difficult, especially about the future. Um, I, I think that, with that said, you know, it's very obvious that every, every software engineer right now is locked up at home using their existing tools and swearing at them. I mean, I was swearing at, at, at Google Meet, Hangout, whatever that is that they call it today, this morning. Um, and so an awful lot of people are kind of going through those tools and, first of all, spotting pieces of friction that they could remove. And secondly, thinking, hang on a second, I don't actually want to see my colleague on video. I want to see their screen on video but I only want to see part of their screen on video. And I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I could. this would be another way that you could do that. And so I think there's going to be an explosion of kind of remote productivity, remote learning, remote medicine tools in the next six months, most of which won't work, but that's how it was, that's normal. But somebody will discover another Slack inside all of that. But then there'll be the Airbnb that none of us think of, and then when we see it, we think it's stupid anyway. And some of those will work too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the I mean, this explosion of new business that, that will follow a crisis like this is very interesting. But of course, at the moment, when we in this pandemic, um, we look at uh, government and science to to get us out. I mean, they, they are now the, the places where we want to go. You described in your presentation that basically software has eaten the world. So software is the expression of all the problems and also software is the expression where a lot of solutions are being, you know, investigated right now, but software is really something that business is much better at than government, right? I mean, the, the big IT projects of government have so many problems. How do you see this developing? Where well, we need a public vision, a shared, you know, measures and a collective arrangement with software to solve this whole crisis that we're in, where. It's the businesses that can build it. Is, is there something new going to happen there? Where oh, so will right. be a new so I
2: think these things are always more complex and fit into a brief conversation. So, you know, we don't look to government to solve grocery delivery. We don't look to right. government to work out how you can solve the problems in supply chain of groceries. But, you know, it can play a role somewhere. Um, the same thing in transport or in healthcare or in communications. I mean, there's, all sort of, there's, there's always places where... Um, government is best fitted to solve a problem, and we go places where individuals are best fitted to solve a problem. I mean, as we look at um, the software industry specifically, clearly, you know, if, if this had happened five years ago, we would not all be doing video conferencing. Certainly, ten years yeah. ago. Um, but today, we sort of suddenly realised, oh wow, everybody actually, everybody has a high-quality video camera and a broadband connection. Like almost every, almost literally everybody, kind of without us noticing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it became, it's become trivial as opposed to, you know, we sit and we complain about where the buttons are, as opposed to going, oh, my God, I'm doing <laughs> high-definition video conferencing with people all around the world. Yeah. Everybody should be using Zoom every day and going, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> um, it, it, make, is make, amazing. Make it is amazing. It is. I think the other thing, obviously, that's interesting is, is contract tracing. Um, yeah. And um, actually, as a sort of people, I don't know if, if Germans know this reference, but there's this is um, some. There's a reference um, that um, I think Palmerston, was a British Prime Minister, said that only three people have ever st- understood the Schleisch-Kolstein question. And one of them was a Prince-Consult who's dead. One of them is a German professor who's gone mad. And the other is me who's forgotten it. And kind of trying to understand contract tracing a moment, at the moment kind of reminds me a little bit of that, that. There's like 48 different projects and 15 different parameters. And is it local or decentralized or not? But like out of that chaos will emerge something whereby you can go buy a coffee and three days later your phone tells you someone in that coffee shop tested positive for COVID, you should get a test.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: that will happen completely automatically. And that would not have been possible three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Now it's just engineering. And so there are sort of specific things where software helps both in, you know, locking us all up at home and ordering groceries and also in, in having some solutions done to some of this. But also, you know, software is just one of many industries as is, you know, the grocery business or the car industry. And every industry has, do, do you think, you do.
0: because the influence of, lots more people are probably going to keep working at home. That, that's not a, you know, very wild thing Sorry, you're quite muffled. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes,
2: that's better. Okay.
0: Um, so lots of people are probably going to keep working at home and lots of other things are changing. Do you think our physical environment will change a lot? Will our cities change a lot?
2: So I think we are asking ourselves, well, you know, take the kind of the narrow case of the video call. There's this old Jake. you know, that meeting could have been any call and the call could have been an email. And so we asked, well, why is it that I was meeting that person, that, that meeting them in person? Now it's a video call. Is that 90% of the way there, but when this is over, I'd rather do a video. Or actually could that have been a Slack channel or an update in a database and maybe it didn't need to be even a video call? What was I trying to achieve there? You know, what is it that having everybody in that room is trying to achieve? and Do you need to have everyone in the room or is it just that that was how you're doing it? And I think the answer to that is, well, there are some things where we say, actually, yes, we do kind of want to have everyone in the room. Yeah. And there, are, but there, there it's, will be a subset be yeah. where you decide, no, actually, you can do that remotely most of the time.
0: But it must also be an age. I mean, I like working from home. I've been doing that for many years. But if you're between twenty and thirty, you want to go to the office, right? You, you don't live in a nice home. You don't have too many friends. You need your need your partners and and hang out with people. There's, a, there's yeah, there must I mean, be
2: desire. I think we've had a moment where everyone said, "Oh my God, what are we going to do?" Second moment, oh wow, actually I can get stuff done. We can do video yeah. calls and like all the stuff is in the cloud so we can work. And I think, so the pendulum has swung. And I suspect the pendulum will swung back a bit and people will say, well, yeah, but actually it's quite good to have everyone in the same yeah. room. And you get some of the benefits, but you get, I, mean, I was talking about this with a friend of mine this morning, he's saying you have no peripheral vision. You can't overhear a conversation. You can't yeah. walk past somebody and see what they're doing. You can't remember, say, oh, I need to talk to that, that person and walk over to them. And so there's a lot of stuff that I think you do miss in an office. And I think we will kind of work out quite what that looks like and how we iterate towards that. Um, I mean, another guy, uh, Fred Wilson at, at, at USV in New York, sort of said we should maybe be thinking about what happened to some U.S. cities in the 60s and 70s where the middle classes all fled. You know, the yeah. center of the city got hollowed out. Yeah. You know, do we actually want everyone to leave every major city and go and live in the suburb and, and go in two or three times a week by train? Is that a, entirely a good thing? Okay,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm che- checking with Ian. Ian, are there questions from the audience that we w- wish to present to Benedict?
1: Yes, there are actually a few. Um, for it's, um,
0: forward, so there you go.
1: For example, um, August wants to know, how may AR and VR help or hinder retail ecosystem? I think that refers to your blog post earlier.
2: Yeah. Um, so I don't think, so, so two, two, I'll try and give you two short answers to that. The first of them is, um, I think VR and AR are completely different things. I think for VR, we're probably three quarters of the way to having a great mass market consumer device, like a wearable headset that looks like a pair of ski goggles that puts you into another world. The problem is we have not yet identified any mass market consumer use case, that isn't a game. And people have done lots of cool demos of other things like you know education and going to a museum and going to a desert island. And, and they all like cool for about 30 seconds and then you go, yeah, that's very cool. But you don't actually do it. Um, and the only thing that's actually worked there is again is games. And games are a good business, but you know there's 150 million to 200 billion games consoles on us and four billion smartphones. And so I think VR at the moment is sort of in that niche unless we can create some broader sets of use cases or ways of creating those use cases. And I don't really it's not really obvious to me how that would happen. Um, on AR, um, yeah, look, it would be great if I could wear a pair of glasses and I can look around the them and see stuff. At the moment, like that's not this year or next year. It's sort of three years away and has always been three years away for like the last five or six or seven years. Um, And I think it's still speculative as to quite what that would mean. Now, yes, if I could put a pair of glasses on and I would see you with a different outfit, that might be interesting, but I'm not sure how much that either of those things really do for e-commerce. They seem more like sort of things that seem great in PowerPoint than things that seem great when you actually do them.
0: Thank you. Another question, maybe, Ina? It's
1: more a comment. It says digital contract tracing could lead to a new kind of surveillance capitalism.
2: What is your thought on that? So I think surveillance capitalism is is, is, what's the phrase? It's a word salad. You take these two words that sound bad and you bolt them together and you put them on a book and then it sounds double plus bad, but it doesn't mean anything. What does surveillance mean? I look at I look at lots of pages about beer, so I get shown beer ads. Yes, so what? what? Um, Is capitalism? Well, yes, and there's American capitalism and German capitalism, and those aren't the same thing. So what does capitalism mean here? Um, I mean, I think there's a so I think there's a lot of sort of people running around shouting shouting witchcraft and panicking around this stuff. I think realistically, it would certainly be possible to create a digital contract system that that gave kind of governments a panopticon of a kind that we don't really want. And the challenge is, you know, we have this debate at the moment that Apple and Google have deliberately built a decentralized anonymous system where no one actually gets that information. And governments in Europe are saying, yes, but we want to know where people were and we want to know who they were so that we can go and follow up. And we know that there's somebody in that coffee shop who's giving everybody COVID. Um, And we want want to have that information because we can save people's lives. And I think there's two answers to that. One of them is if you build it for France and Germany and Britain, you've also built it for Iran and Saudi Arabia and China. And so you have to think about a universal. It's a universal system. If you put it in the phone, it's in the phone. And then the Chinese police can say to you, you have to turn this on. And so that's one challenge that they have. I think the other challenge is, and it's not a debate I, I would want to enter into, but there is some debate amongst epidemiologists as to how much you actually need that data as opposed to just want it. Um, and so I think, as I said, you know, I said earlier, you know, once you sort of dig into the, the ins and outs of it, it gets very complicated very quickly. Um, but I think that is part of the reasoning why Apple and Google have said, no, we want to build a decentralized private system. And just one, one other comment though. It's actually kind of hilarious that we basically have the French and the German governments demanding that American tech companies turn off privacy controls. So it's not a okay. sentence you would have thought you would have said in January.
0: Yeah, yeah, the things are changing so fast. Are we having a last question from the audience? Or are, or are we wrapping up? I'm looking at Ina. She runs the show here.
1: Just one last question. How will the COVID situation change? Um, autonomous vehicles, or do you see an acceleration or a deceleration by this
2: situation right now? Interesting question. So, I mean, I think you could propose you would rather have an autonomous vehicle without a driver in a COVID situation. You would rather have an Uber with no driver in a COVID world. Um, However, so, realistic answer, number one, there is a macro effect on the funding environment that means there is less cash to be invested in what are frankly extremely expensive development projects. If you want to have hundreds of cars and thousands of engineers um, and you're not selling anything yet, that's expensive. And so you kind of want to speculate that the availability of capital to fund autonomous car projects will be less. So that's one answer. Second answer is, um, look, this doesn't work yet. It's not close to working. Nobody actually building an autonomous car project thinks it's going to work this year or next year. It is a sort of a five year away project. And working kind of means we're working where? So like we can probably get it to work on highways. We probably don't. We're much further away from getting it to work in suburban streets. So it's sort of an academic issue. Like by the time autonomous cars are working, we'll have forgotten about COVID. i it's not forgotten about it, but like we'll be walking around the street without wearing masks. So it doesn't really we'll apply, apply, except for that funding question.
0: Well, thank you so much. Is there a last, last gem of wisdom you want to share with us?
2: Oh, well, particularly no, I mean, I am very clever, so I can share lots of wisdom. But I think <laughs> that will do for now.
0: Oh, we like listening to you. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. thank you so much for being a guest well, on our well, show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Okay. Thank you for that, Benedict. I am intrigued by the thought of this as a a green eggs and ham moment. We're all being forced to try new things. Which of them are gonna stick, which of them are not gonna stick is a very intriguing question. But now it is time to move on. It is time for our regular interview segment of the show, Next World. So let's roll the credits. Okay. This is our regular Next World interview. Now, viewers, imagine this. Follow me on a journey to the near future. There's an increasingly acute crisis on planet Earth. Amid that crisis, a daring band of technologists hatch a plan. They are going to travel to a faraway planet outside the solar system, taking with them a 1,000 pioneers to establish a new society, a new home for human beings. Uh, and Monique van Dusseldorp, because of your achievement in the field of conference curation, you have been chosen to be among those thousand pioneers. But before you go to the planet next one, before you undertake this journey, there are five key questions you must answer. Five questions and we're going to hear your answer to each one. So let's roll question number one. Okay, name one luxury object that you would take with you to Planet Next One.
0: Okay, there I am, conference girl on this planet with a thousand people. Uh, I'm not a luxury person, so this was a really tough one for me because I think like, okay, we live as as royalty anyway here in the Netherlands and, you know, you guys as well, you know, warm house, hot water. um, What's the most luxurious thing in my house? I think... Um, I, I would take a pet. Is that allowed in the system? Take a, it's not a thing, right? But it, I think it's luxury. You don't need a pet. But to have a cat lying around in your house makes me feel like the world is all right. So I would take a cat.
3: Okay, very interesting. A cat. I hope that your cat survives the journey. You're going to need some cat food to take <laughs> with you to the next one in that case. I'm sure that that can be done. Okay, yeah. let's roll question number two. Name one exceptional person that you think should be among the first thousand pioneers to go with you to next one and explain.
0: First thought was, okay, there's a thousand people. Let's assume that of those thousand, there's there's a few that I think are funny or entertaining, but it would be good to take a good entertainer along. But then again, okay, we'll work out the entertainment somehow and probably... With a thousand people, you want somebody who can lead in a democratic way, who can sort of get the troops together and, and make them work together. So my first thought was, Oh, we miss him so much, Barack Obama. And then I thought, no, let's 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 move it to Europe. Maybe we should bring Angela Merkel, because I like what she's doing, and she was talking about culture and but in the end I decided the person right now on top of the list would be Jacinda Arden from New Zealand. I mean, obviously. She knows the stuff, she gets things going, everybody loves her and they have no COVID-19 anymore. So I think she's the right person right now.
3: That sounds like a very wise choice. And also if there's a viral outbreak on the ship on the way to next one, you know that Jacinda will be on top of that. Okay, let's roll question number three. Name a law that bans something from Planet Next One forever. And look, the caveat with this is, of course, there's a basic system of law. You don't have to ban murder. You don't have to ban theft. Uh, But what is it you want to ban, Monique?
0: Oh, I was thinking that we might as well uh, ban cars because cities with bicycles and pedestrians and just cars. Let's get rid of the cars. I mean, let's think of new systems Do public transport. Fine. No cars.
3: No cars. Done. Done. Okay, let's roll roll question number four. So, Monique, explain one ethical principle or one rule to live by that you want people to follow on Next One.
0: Oh, well, this, this sort of calls for, you know, wisdom and insight and and i have nothing to offer here but for what i try to teach my kids which is be kind you know be kind say something nice or say nothing at all be kind that's very basic but it helps it helps
3: (laughs) that sounds like a good motto be kind okay final question (laughs) we were you to identify a question to ask next week's star guest and pioneer harper reed what would you like to ask harper
0: okay harper of course is is a developer he was the cto for the obama campaign he made a lot of software i would ask him okay you go to a new planet you can set up the internet all over again what would you do differently just really in the infrastructure of the internet what would you change that's my question for harper
3: Okay, not an easy question for Harper, but I'm sure he's gonna, he's gonna be able to tell us the answer. What would you change about the internet? Thank you, Monique. You have qualified, board the ship, travel to next one. We are all gonna miss you. Take your cat and enjoy yourself. Uh, Thank but look, I think we are running out of time for this week's show. We just have time, I think, to do what we promised, which is give you guys a glimpse or a listen of that AI uh, song contest winner, right, Monique?
0: Exactly, and of course it being a European song contest, even though it's AI, the winner of course is Australia <laughs> in Australia, they made a, um, a special song which is a neural network which trained was trained on audio samples of Australian animals like koalas, kookaburras and Tasmanian devils. Melody and lyrics were AI generated but the song is performed by humans, so Ina, say us out and Then we can
1: hear the song. I just quickly wanted to share a few thoughts um, from the the chat because I also posed the question, what would you take to the next planet? And actually some uh, funny things came up like a Weber Grill or Elon Musk. So I'm already envisioning him making some sausages for us uh, (laughs) over there. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening in this show today. Um, and also for your interesting questions in the chat. Next week we'll be uh, having our show on Wednesday because the Thursday is holiday in Germany um, where everyone's outside and as we're allowed to do that again, no one, I hope, will be at the screen. So next week on Wednesday afternoon, we meet here, I hope, with you and Harper And that's all we have for today. So thank you so much and if you want, you can listen to the song. Oh,
0: stay in the chat.
1: Okay. Or stay in the chat with us. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>